Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Hi, welcome back to Central Line. Thanks so much for joining us today. I am very excited to be here today with Garth Jordan, the CEO of AHA. Um, Thanks so much for joining us, Garth. Hi, Katie. Thank you. Uh, Garth, if you wouldn't mind, would you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how it is that you ended up there? Uh, Sure. I have a, a kind of a different background. The first third of my career, I'm closing in on 60 years old, if that matters, but so the first third of my career... I was was like an Australian walkabout. Uh, I worked for the Reagan era space based initiative, uh, space laser initiative. Uh, sounds like an Austin Powers film. I uh, yeah, <laughs> I worked in environmental chemistry on some of the mo- most polluted uh, land in the United States back in the eighties. I helped start up a mail order pharmacy. I was the fourth employee, and we got to one hundred twenty five. So I was kind of all over the place in my first third of my career. And the, the second third, I got into working with professional associations, just kind of fell in love with the idea of helping professionals in their lifelong learning journey and networking journeys and that kind of thing. And, and so I've worked with OR nurses um, in healthcare, uh, uh, medical group management, as well as healthcare finance and even in IT and higher education. And so that path of working in sales and marketing and membership development and all kinds of different careers within trade, trade and professional associations led me to the opportunity to work in this role uh, as CEO at, at uh, AHA. Well, that is definitely a long and winding path to where you are yes. now. <laughs> well, exactly. Well-rounded is what that is. <laughs> I, that's, we'll, we'll call it that. We'll be, that's generous. That's generous. I really think a lot of the most interesting people I know just ha- have a, a bio like that where there's just, you know, you never know what the next twist and turn is going to be. Right. So that's, that's awesome. Um, random is good sometimes. Exactly. And then we later find out maybe it wasn't so random. <laughs> right. Um, so Garth, what's your favorite? favorite thing about your job now at AHA? Well, you know, I mentioned, this is off track for a second. I mentioned that I work in environmental chemistry early in my career. I worked uh, at Rocky Flats, which is one of the, uh, actually had the, the, was known to be the most polluted square mile on earth. And I was in a self-contained breathing suit in a, a backhoe excavating a trench where the army had dumped lots of different wonderful chemicals over many years of developing weapons of destruction. And we hit a pocket of pure sodium and it exploded. And so I just took off running because I was scared. And <laughs> I, um, see that. But I, I forgot I was at the end of a, of an oxygen line. Oh, no. So when I hit the end, I, I laid out flat and I, uh, I broke a couple bones but the, the kind of the embarrassing part of it was then this, uh, after I laid out flat, this white fog wafted over my body like a Stephen King novel, you know, like the fog in Stephen King. So my first reaction to your question is that my favorite thing about my current job is that it's not that. <laughs> 
I thought that might be what you were getting to there. You know, I, I used to work at an art museum and sometimes on the worst days in vet med, I've just, my, my motto was just like, oh my God, nobody ever died at the art museum. Right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. yep, right. yeah it, it definitely, so, that tops that though, for sure. Like that was, yeah, well, yeah. so in all seriousness though, to answer that question, the answer should be, if you work in professional associations, the answer should be the, the favorite thing is about helping your members and helping the ecosystem that they're in. And that is true for me. It's always been true. It's truer for me now with AHA than it ever has been for the most part with our members and our not yet members as, as uh, uh, to be inclusive, right? right. To, but it's because there's, this is a very noble cause and noble profession from my perspective. And so we, you know, we spent a long time on our strategic plan listening to hundreds of practice owners, DVMs, vet techs. And what we heard is that they want someone to help them simplify their journey toward excellence. So I get to wake up every morning wondering how I can help simplify the journey. And those eight words inspire me. I don't need to seek inspiration. It's sitting right there. I will work my tail off for that every single day. So that's the favorite part of my job, that and that I'm not exposed to toxic agents. Yeah, anymore. both things can be true for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the worst day. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. I, I, um, I can say from my short time at AHA that um, you don't need to look for inspiration for your job, but you are definitely inspiring people at your job. Oh, um, there's you. definitely a, a mood of um, we're going places and helping people and making it a safe place for us to do our jobs and for our members to do their jobs better. So I, um, I can say that from my perspective. That's true. That's um, great to hear. <laughs> so, um, you know, we today, this conversation, what we really wanted to talk about um, when we talked about doing this is um, ways that we can work together. And that's mm -hmm. kind of the underlying theme, I think, um, with a lot of what we're doing at AHA. And in veterinary medicine, you've worked in a lot of fields, but you know that in vet med, we're facing a lot of tough challenges these days. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering in your time at AHA, because I've been enmeshed in those challenges now for over a decade in veterinary medicine, but in the time you've been at AHA, what are some of the challenges that you've come to feel particularly passionate about helping to solve? I, I like that question because there's so many. Uh, so, you know, I, I could talk about the staffing shortage or inefficiencies, uh, you know, demand outstripping supply kind of stuff, uh, uh, mental health challenges, which is just very significant, new technologies, consumerization, consumerization of care. I don't like that word, but it, it exists and it's in human health too. I dealt with it there to some extent. Access to care, rising cost, consolidation. Uh, I've even heard people argue that consolidation and this massive injection of venture capital into our, our ecosystem might even deteriorate the cause of care in favor of financial return. I'm not saying I agree with that, but you know, so all of these things are just broiling around in this soup. Uh, but if I distill it to one thing that I'm passionate about, and it's going to maybe sound a little trite, but it's very true, and that is our mission. So we, uh, so I'm going to beat that drum for a second. Our mission, new mission is eight words. It's pretty straightforward. Simplify the journey toward excellence for veterinary practices. 
So the, the reason I'm passionate about that is I truly deeply believe if we could simplify the journey that our practices and our not yet member practices are taking, many of those other challenges become easier to work through. So my example is what I do know is, uh, um, for example, our data shows that turnover in accredited practices is lower than the ecosystem wide average, right? So what we learn when we listen very carefully to, uh, uh, to our practices that, that uh, our AHA members, we found out that accreditation is not about earning a victory badge. It is, but it isn't. It's also about the process, the process of improvement. So we have data that really shows that accreditation is educational and it helps create and support a better team, that better teams lead to better run and more effective and efficient practices, better client relationships, increased loyalty, uh, lower staffing turnover, better financial results. All of those things stem from a better team. And we've learned that the process of accreditation is really important in helping get there. So in my mind, I think about if I'm going to simplify the journey, if that's what I'm going to wake up and live and breathe every day, a simple what if question is, well, what if we simplify the process of accreditation? Doesn't mean we make it easier to pass, right. for example, right? But we can make the process simpler, more accessible, a better learning journey. If we do, all, if we do that really well, we automatically improve many of those other things that people are nervous about or, or challenged with. It doesn't, it's not a panacea, but, uh, but I think that it's, it's nice to find one thing who's, that's kind of a cause that has a positive outcome or effect downstream on a number of other things. So that's, that's kind of where my passion is. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of, of simplifying that journey towards excellence as sort of the keystone of all of that stuff. You know, I, I love talking about habits and habit science and I was talking about the keystone habit. Like for instance, you're the one habit that if you do it, everything yes. else sort of falls into place and make your bed. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. Get up, go to bed at a reasonable hour. That's mine. And, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, exactly. and simplifying the journey toward excellence is certainly not as simple as just say, I'm going to go to bed on time, no. but it does encompass so much that word excellence encompasses so much. Um, and you know, you've also probably noticed in this profession, like we're a pretty scrappy bunch. We, Yes. Pride ourselves on being problem solvers. <laughs> like you bring in a hamster with a broken foot and someone's going to make an e-collar and a splint for that hamster. You know, right. they're, right. this is a profession of people that can fix stuff and get frustrated when they can't fix things. And yet yeah. certain problems in this profession as a whole seem to be so persistent and we just haven't figured out how to solve them. Why do you think that is? Like, what are some of the factors you think that contribute to that? Uh, I have two big factors in mind. So they're, uh, they are fragmentation and a challenge definition. So fragmentation for the relatively small size of our industry. I mean, I worked in human health care. It's 20% of our gross domestic product. It's a over $4 trillion industry, uh, um, which I hate calling it an industry. Ecosystem maybe is better. But for our relatively small size, we're pretty fragmented. We have 20,000 independent practices in the U.S. and Canada, another 10,000 or so corporate-owned. Uh, we have a lot of new entities scooping up practices every day, right? We have a wide variety, by my count, well over 100 trade professional and cause-related nonprofit organizations. AHA is one of them, of course. And we all represent specialties or geographies or trades or corporate interests, etc., right? We also have corporations, of course, 
pharma device manufacturers. So it's, it's good. It's a great big ecosystem, but there's this fragmentation. Uh, we have a lot of money also coming into our new ecosystem that creates even more noise being generated on this kind of cacophony of interests, right? So all that to say, uh, big problems or shared problems, those that exist across many disciplines, practices, and geographies, they're not being prioritized and addressed by us holistically. Yeah. So yeah, one or two organizations might pick up a challenge and try to develop a few solutions, write a white paper and publish it and say, here, here you go, everybody do this and you'll be fine. Uh, that sounds kind of cynical, right? But if the process is not inclusive, if it's approached without considering the myriad of voices, it's, it's more than likely going to fail. So I believe our industry needs to act in a more unified fashion for those persistent challenges that we can point at and we can define, and then we can actually start solving together and not have it be, if you will, the purview or responsibility of one or two or three organizations. So it's on all of us together. My, my second one was about challenge definition. Why, why are things persistent? So the one way to think about this is, have you ever asked yourself why there are mirrors in an elevator? Actually, I asked myself that today. I was at an yeah, elevator okay. with a mirror on the ceiling. <laughs> All right. Well, so when, when elevators started to become commonplace in high rises, you know, people started to complain that they were too slow, even though they were much faster than what it took to walk upstairs, right? So that sounded like a challenge for engineers, but they realized, well, this means installing new elevators, upgrading motors, um, improving algorithms that run elevators. All these things are really, really expensive. So the landlords and the building people started to look at this challenge a little bit differently. They started trying to understand why are people complaining that it's too slow, even though it was faster than taking the stairs. And they realized that people just stood there without anything to do and they were bored. <laughs> right? It, it really, phones, yeah. <laughs> it, it boredom. So with that in mind, they put some mirrors in and people started, you know, checking themselves out, fixing their hair, which, you know, I don't have that problem. Uh, you know, and for those who are listening, I'm you know, balls of cue ball. Um, so, <laughs> so it's something to do. <laughs> so it's something to do during the ride. The tenants kind of lost track of time and perceived that the ride was actually really fast. Right. Huh. So it's a great example of challenge definition, defining the problem in a unique way that is really honestly through the eyes of the person you're designing for. And that takes, we'll talk about this later, but that takes a lot of empathy. So. You know, some quote is attributed to Einstein about, you know, if you could save the world in an hour, he would spend 55 minutes defining the problem. So that might be an exaggeration or it might be really attributed to someone else, but you have to put a lot of time and effort into defining the problem clearly. Uh, some people think of that as research. I think of that as uh, human centered design. I don't think of surveys and, you know, a whole bunch of data. I think of it as learning to see the world through the eyes of the people you're designing for. So fragmentation and um, uh, challenge definition are my, that's my answer. Yeah, the, you're so right that if you ask 10 people in our industry to describe the biggest problems in our industry, they'd probably describe them all differently. Um, right. And that is obviously a huge obstacle when it comes to solving things. So. Um, and I do feel that fragmentation from inside it. Um, and I don't know that we've all identified it with that name, but it's definitely, um, something we can sense, uh, 
pretty yeah. much on a daily basis, just from the way that systems and things don't change the way we hope that they would. So um, one of the things, one of the big reasons that we got together today was to talk about veterinary visionaries, which is super mm-hmm. exciting. Um, so can you tell us what veterinary visionaries is and how it came to be? Well, it's your previous question was a good ramp up to this because it yeah. simplified my answer. And that is veterinary visionaries is, is not a company. It is a space. So it's a, it's a space where many of our organizations, nonprofits, for-profits, et cetera, can bring our members and our stakeholders together to defragment our approach to problem solving. So uh, uh, some people might call it crowdsourcing, and that might be kind of our first venture is crowdsourcing and, and being more inclusive and open with what we're solving and how we're solving. But longer term, veterinary visionaries can be a space where solutions are not just come up you know, with ideas, but we can actually refine the solutions and get them back out to our whole ecosystem for use. So it's, it's not meant to be a place where intellectual property is developed and you know, someone holds on to it like a miser, you know, trying yeah. it, is, it is of, by and for our broader ecosystem to defragment and solve together. Veterinary medicine is an inherently stressful profession, and we know that there are many challenges with mental health within our profession. I know this from personal experience as I experienced severe burnout just three years ago. I was ready to walk away from veterinary medicine forever. Veterinary Visionaries is over 50 veterinary organizations that are collaborating to create actionable solutions to some of the challenges that our profession is facing. This spring, we're working to address a challenge that's very important to me, creating systemic solutions to promoting mental health and well-being within the veterinary profession. Veterinary Visionaries allows for a space for individuals within our community to offer ideas and collectively solve these issues that our industry is facing. So get ready, submit your ideas starting May 1st, and the submission deadline is May 27th. Love that. And veterinary visionaries, which we'll just call visionaries for the sake of brevity. Sure. Um, right. In 2021, you launched a project, a veterinary visionaries project, right? Um, Changemakers, yep. which I'm very sad that I was not around for. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Changemakers and what was involved in that um, project? Sure. So two things. We At that time, we had about 30 to 35 organizations involved, including ACVIM, VEX, AVMA, a bunch of state VMAs, AHA, of course, and, and a, a variety of others. And we were, I took personally the inspiration from uh, an organization I helped start called Next Gen Learning, uh, which was a place where uh, uh, K-12 teachers who are in and of their own right, incredibly entrepreneurial, they can MacGyver, I've heard you say this about vets, they can MacGyver anything in a classroom to teach a kid something. For right? sure, yeah. So especially with technology. So they were solving really cool learning challenges every day, but their ideas weren't being surfaced for everyone else to use. So like you're a teacher in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, teaching kindergarten, and you have a great technology idea. How does it make its way to someone like me in Denver, Colorado? It doesn't. So the idea... Um, of next gen learning was to discover and surface. And that's really what the first event was for veterinary visionaries. It was to prove that 
30 organizations could create an event where none of us have um, financial interest in the event and, uh, uh, and no one's going to try to take over. And we can actually create a place where, you know, everyday veterinarians come to the table and say, this was my solution here. Does anybody want to use it? You know, please take it because it works. And so that was, it, it's pretty simple. Uh, it worked. It, I think it worked relatively well. And it was really a first step proof of concept for all of us to, to uh, take a first step on veterinary visionaries together. Yeah, it looked really cool. I, I think on the AHA website, there's a um, little ebook of takeaways from yes. from Changemakers. And um, it's full of just neat little bites from some really inspiring people. And um, I just, I think it, the mood of that must have been really uh, inspiring just to to see people mm. bouncing ideas around and talking about solving things, like you said, without anybody having a stake in the game other than just wanting to make this a better place for all yeah. of us. Uh, and that's, that's super cool. So uh, since I missed it, <laughs> um, if you, if you could pick something out of change makers out of that event from last year, if you could take one thing out of that and put it on a billboard and show it to everybody or like send out a tweet that gets to the entire veterinary profession, what would it be? Uh, this is going to sound maybe a little, uh, I don't know, cute. I'm not sure, <laughs> but it would, it would really be to ask everybody to help us help ourselves. So, you know, or let's help each other. It's, it's pretty right. It's kind of crazy, but, uh, um, the world is really, really big. There's op opportunities for everyone to learn and grow. Our ecosystem is growing by leaps and bounds. There's no reason for us to keep doing things alone in our own practices or in our own corners of the world, in our own states, whatever. So I'm a big believer. I don't know if anyone out there has read or listened to Simon Sinek's uh, infinite mindset, right? So the infinite minded person or player understands that sometimes you may have a better product or process or widget or whatever, but that sometimes someone else does. And there's no really no such thing as just being the best at something because it's an infinite game, right? The goal is in this game that we're all playing here, if you want to call it that, is to outdo yourself. But you can do that by helping each other and the ideas that make our veterinary practices and veterinary ecosystem better. So to me, what that says is we need to really be very purposeful. And I use that word very purposely, very purposeful about, about designing ways that we can help us help each other because it's not happening naturally. Yeah, that's really interesting. I would, I feel like I would have picked all sorts of things for you to answer that question with. And that <laughs> one is so much better because it's just like some find the journey toward excellence. It just encompasses all of the challenge. Almost every challenge that we're facing is just that we, we need to think about ourselves as a, a whole and each yeah. individual person has a story and that story matters. Um, and without thinking about the stories of all the other people that we interact with in this field, it's very easy to feel like we're sort of in a little bubble by ourselves suffering or feeling like we're not heard. And that's just not the case. Um, it, it, it helps so much to think about how our, what we're going through can relate to other people um, yep. and vice yeah. versa. Yeah. What, what do you think our profession does really well? Like, what are we succeeding at already when it comes to problem solving? Well, 
besides yeah. hamster e-commerce. I, yeah, I don't, I don't want people to think that I think the willingness isn't there, yeah. right? I, it's interesting when I talk about visionaries itself or just the global concept of defragmenting our approach and being more inclusive and designing ways that we can work together, finding that time and place, people are really, really willing. What we do well, I mean, I, I know that sounds kind of weird, like willingness. How can you do willingness well? But the willingness is there. I, I truly, deeply believe that. I think what's missing are these kind of pragmatic vehicles or processes that that help break us break down that fragmentation or, or defragment, right? Yeah. To break down some of these artificial barriers we've created. You know, when you talk about one specialty versus another or one state versus another, I get the reason fragmentation serves a purpose, but for these big challenges, it does not. It really doesn't. So thinking and acting purposely, very holistically, is really, really difficult. It takes time, it takes effort, and it takes a willingness, which I think we have. Um, it's I, This maybe sounds a little uh, uh, too bold, but I, I feel like we have to conjure up our own, uh, our own version of like the Arab Spring, you know, and design a new way to, to work together, to tackle those challenges together. But again, the willingness, I, I really believe the willingness is there. And that's huge. I mean, there are definitely professions like my dad's an attorney and I know it would be, it was when he was working and I was growing up, there was no talk in his profession about solving these problems, you know, it was just like, put your head down and put in all the hours. And that was, that was what you were going to do. So uh, a a great kind of sidebar example is, uh, uh, and I think this might be an an outdated or an overused example, but in the, I, I don't, I can't remember the exact decade, 1960s, 70s, you know, too many airline accidents were going on. So we created this environment uh, in the 70s and 80s where it was safe to report accidents, near misses, and the things that, that degraded safety in, in the airlines. And because of that cumulative work uh, uh, and, and creating the database of, of flight safety, we have worldwide the, the safest mode of transportation by far is flying which seems strange because it's a big metal tube right. <laughs> flying through the, the air, air, right? Yeah. Hundreds of miles an hour. Conceptually, it's but, so scary to me. <laughs> right, exactly. It's, but, 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 it's, but it's incredibly safe because people decided to not work in their silos in their own airlines or in their own airplane manufacturing unit or whatever. They came together and said, we can change this. That's a great example. Yeah. And the... I feel like the veterinary profession probably does that really well when it comes to like patient safety and patient care and how are we going to get together to make surgery safer, you know, and perfect our procedures in in a medical sense. But when it comes to our, our teams and our people, it's, it's been a little bit more of a challenge for us to do that. But Mm -hmm. you're right. I, I do see the willingness here so much more even than 10 years ago. You know, I got out of school 12 years ago and I, uh, the environment has changed dramatically since then, even in that decade. So that is a really big win for sure. It means there's yeah. fertile ground to do all of this yes. work. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Um, so what do you see in 2022 for veterinary visionaries? What's in store? So, so we're going to kick into solve mode. So the first, that first event was finding what was already there and surfacing it and, and really 
a pilot, an experiment. So we'll kick into solve mode, but it's another pilot. It's another experiment, right? We're, we're doing the whole like, you know, belly crawl, crawl, walk, toddle, walk, run thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so our, we're going to, we've, we've already identified the challenge that we want to tackle. Um, we've done some research around the challenge and, uh, um, and the, the challenge question is going to be something like how might we create systemic solutions and support for mental health challenges? And the key word there is systemic. So when we look at things that have been published about mental wellness, especially in our industry and some very recent ones, mm -hmm. it's really all about, Hey, practitioner, DVM, vet tech go learn how to deal with stress better, right? You, you need to have your own stress techniques or you need to, you know, your employer needs to give you more time off. I mean, they're very uh, uh, down to the individual or the unit. Yeah. They're not thinking systemically, which is okay because mm -hmm. both, both sets of solutions are important. But what we realized in our research and why we wrote this question is that no one is really talking about systemic solutions. So I'll give you an example of one that's actually come up and I love this idea. Um, and, and I, I think it could spark some of our listeners, uh, um, ideas as well to, to solve that. How might we create systemic solutions for, for mental wellness and support? This idea actually came from me talking about this with a, uh, a student, um, in, uh, emergency med he's in his third year and uh, I asked him the question. He said, well, how much money does AHA have in the bank? And I said, well, we're a nonprofit, but we have, I think, I can't remember, eight or nine million in the bank. He goes, well, that's your members' money, right? I said, yeah, because they're not, they're not shareholders, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have shareholders. We're nonprofit. And I started to do the math, and I'm like, well, you know, AVMA, I think, has about 50 million in the bank, so they're an order of magnitude larger from us. I think ACVIM and VEX together probably have 10 to 15 million. So a lot of nonprofits have reserves. That's, that's his point. But then we also have a lot of for-profits who are putting money into mental wellness, you know, graciously, right? Generously, Merck, et cetera, others. There's a lot of money that's sitting out there that is really about <laughs> either making money with or off of practitioners or sitting there because our practitioners have asked us to do something for them. So his comment to me was, well, why not create a consortium of all those organizations and fund a universal employee assistance program. Yeah. And I just, I, I was just, I thought, wow. Okay. So if you've got, you know, 150,000 quote unquote employees across our ecosystem with vet techs and DVMs and all that good stuff, right. Or whatever the number is. And you fund that you, you know, how much do you need for that a year? Well, it's a number that's a lot smaller than what's sitting out there. Mm -hmm. And we're just not thinking and acting that way. So I, I loved the, just, that was one of my first conversations about this topic. My hope, I'm going to actually ask him to put that idea when we start to have our solving event, I'm going to ask him to put it in the, in the event, but that's the type of thinking that, uh, um, that we can bring to the table if we start to open our minds up to this word systemic. So I hope we can use this event, this next event, as a proof of concept, uh, another step around solving and defragmenting our approach together. If we can do that once, then we'll, we'll be able to, I guess, wash, rinse, and repeat, and, uh, and veterinary visionaries can do this on a regular basis. 
Yeah, I love that. And I love that you were talking with a student, you know, when that idea surfaced. Um, And an EAP, Employee Assistance Program, like it seems like such a given, you know, that if you have it, you should use it. And I know a lot of employers actually offer an EAP and people don't even know about it. And so there's so much of this that's about creating systems that work. And then there's also the problem of awareness, which is that a lot of times people don't even know if there are resources available to help them. So um, I I think a, a larger scale solution like that would be so much more visible too, which can only help people. Um, so a lot of times people just feel isolated. That's that's really amazing, and I'm looking forward to seeing what ideas come out of that of the solving mode this year. Um, and you know, I I wanted oh, hold on. time out. My dog is barking. <laughs> hold on one second. I'll be right back. Hold on. What would a podcast be without a barking yeah. dog? <laughs> yeah, he scared that. Scared that bad Amazon delivery person. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's got a 100% success rate. They always... Right, leave. exactly. <laughs> and so he just keeps training himself over and over again. I dark they leave. It's, it's amazing. It's awesome. I was going to ask you, you know, Veterinary Visionaries is your baby, at least as far as I can tell. You know, coming into AHA, this is really a, a project that you feel right. so passionate about and you've conceptualized it from previous experiences and said, I think this is really going to help our profession. And I agree. But why, you know, when we talk about it, you take no ownership of it. You've conceptualized it and brought it into being, and then you are ready to sort of let it go into the universe and do what it's going to do. Why is it so important to you that visionaries not belong to any one particular person or organization? Well, that's a good question. And in our, in our U.S., right, we're used to the thing being owned, yeah. right? Someone owns it and is making Capitalism. money off it, yep. right? <laughs> Capitalism rocks. Um, uh, but this, I, I don't feel like this is mine to own. It doesn't matter that it might have been a, an idea that I came up with or anyone else. I would say it, whether it was mine or someone else's. I don't feel like it's mine to own. I think it's for us to own it, nurture it, and work on it together. That's the only way it will work long-term. So if, if I owned it and had to champion it and run it, you know, run it every day, um, then, then our industry is just going to look at it as a, as a either Garth or AHA side project. And that's, that's um, I like to say, no bueno. It's not going to work. So my hope is it does take off in some way, shape or form becomes self-funding, maybe its own little nonprofit, you know, with its own executive director and all that good stuff, but, uh, but funded by those of us in the ecosystem who have uh, a clear responsibility to be thinking and acting holistically beyond our, our, our traditional work. It's, I think it's just getting more important that we do that. So all I'm here to do is to help us get started on helping us help ourselves uh, and, uh, um, if this is a pathway to do it, that's great. And, you know, fly a little bird fly. That's all I could say. Yes. <laughs> but if it's something else, if this doesn't work, it, we'll, we'll come up with something else. That's okay too. Yeah. If evolution is good, right? Just like right. your career and my career. <laughs> evolution is good. Um, I, I, sorry, Garth, I didn't ask you this ahead of time, but 
how can people get involved in Veterinary Visionaries if they want to this year? Where can they find more information? One easy way is to just email me, uh, garth.jordan at aaha, aha.org. Just putting it right out there. <laughs> right. Just put it right out there. I mean, why not? Right. Yep. <laughs> Trust me. If you email me, I'm going to put you to work. So just <laughs> be, careful, be careful what you ask for. Um, but we, so we have now 50 different organizations involved and um, their commitment to this project is when we have the, the event's going to probably launch in about mid-April to solve that question, to work on those systemic solutions for mental wellness, right? The hope is, is that all 50 of the organizations involved, fingers crossed, right? Fingers, eyes, toes, everything crossed, that all 50 of us market the event, not as our own, but as a veterinary visionaries event that is of, by, and for our industry. So, you know, in a perfect world, you're, it, it would be hard for you to miss it, right? To, to know that you can come in. And the way you can participate is by giving your ideas and by, by becoming part of this solving community. It's not a Facebook community. It's not, it's a solving community. Come become part of the solving community. Talk to people who are putting solutions in, put your own solutions in, you know, give people an encouragement in the community to, to finish their solutions, those types of things. Cause that event will last about three or four weeks and then we'll be done. And then we're going to assess what we've got and figure out what to do with the top ones. And by the way, there's a cash reward for the best idea. Uh, we're going to be giving out uh, about $5,000 for the top three to five ideas. So okay. grand prize probably in that $2,000 range. That's nothing to sneeze at. So Absolutely not. Uh, uh, a financial incentive never hurt anybody. Right. So, <laughs> but, uh, um, but that's that to me is is the way the, the main way. But if you email me and you say, well, I'd like to volunteer for something a little deeper, a little richer, or my organization would like to be involved. Hey, the more the merrier. We, we are an open, inclusive tent. So I'll just leave it at that. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, to wrap up, I had a question that I wanted to ask you. We've been talking a lot about problem solving and about um, things that we want to help fix, which is excellent because there's stuff that needs to be fixed and we're fixers. Right. But I, you know, like, like I said before, I've been in vet med for over a decade. It's my, you know, it's my world. I, that it's the world I know. And so sometimes it's hard to see it clearly, I think from inside, but you're a relative newcomer to vet med um, comparatively, and you have so much experience in other industries. So I was wondering, you know, based on your previous experience and coming in and sort of getting this, you're, you're drinking from a garden hose <laughs> um, impression yeah. of vet med. Like what, what has really amazed you about it? What has um, really struck mm -hmm. you as something the profession does that you maybe haven't seen in other, in other fields or that we do exceptionally differently or well? So my, my answer actually comes from a, uh, something I've been practicing for uh, I guess 12 or 13 years. So uh, um, I've been practicing this process of uh, human-centered design that maybe more common label is, is design thinking. So this is gonna be a, a kind of a weird roundabout way to answer your question, but design thinking is really about designing with the humans in mind, as I mentioned before, for whom you're designing, seeing the world through their eyes, understanding them as humans and the challenges that they face. Mm -hmm. Easy to say, hard to do. Yeah. You, you don't get it through surveys. 
You don't get it through traditional research. It is really through empathy-based research. It starts with and ends with empathy. If, you, if, if you're going to get into human-centered design or design thinking, empathy has to be your superpower. The, every industry I've been in where I've applied design thinking, it's actually been, uh, I don't want to say it's an easy thing to learn and understand. It's a practice like medicine, but probably not as hard as medicine, but it's a practice like medicine. Um, because you never assume you know something. You're always, you're always working to see, see the world through someone else's eyes. And this, this, uh, the elevator thing was an example of that, right? The elevator and the mirrors. But what I've realized about this industry that's unique, at least for all the ones that I've worked in, even in human health, is the empathy in our industry that the people have is intense. It is there. It is powerful. We're, we're made up of empaths, right? Yes. But it doesn't mean that we're naturally using our empathic powers <laughs> to do human-centered design for ourselves, to understand, yeah. right? So it's kind of, a, it, so it, it's, it's, it's a weird paradigm or conundrum. I don't know what the right word is there, but, uh, you know, I would argue that like our ecosystem is changing so rapidly, it's almost being redesigned without the empaths in mind. Yeah. So the question I have, and, and that's, a, that is, it's an incredibly powerful tool that we have. So the question I have, and that's why visionaries comes to mind and other things come to mind is how do we, it, it's like a professional disconnect. Mm -hmm. my, my empathic world that I have is being redesigned without my empath in mind. So how do we take this industry of deeply kind, caring empaths that have true meaning, they have cause, they have eagerness to improve, they can, they can fix a hamster's broken toenail. I mean, yeah. like crazy stuff, crazy. right? Yes. We're the embodiment of empathy, right? So how do we take that and poise ourselves for empathic solving and, and demand that of the organizations that are solving on our behalf, whether they're for profits, you know, software companies and PIM systems, or whether they're, you know, uh, uh, medical device companies, you know, take me, take the human, take my day to day into account, just design with me and my challenges in mind. And we can ask for that. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure we do that all that well yet. No, I think you're absolutely right. You know, sometimes self-care is learning how to meditate and sometimes self-care is actually saying my needs aren't being met. And that's right. And, right. and it's coming from a place of, you know, I feel deeply and I, and I know that my needs aren't being met, but it hasn't always been okay to say that. Right. Right. Yeah. So I'm not suggesting that, you know, for-profit companies are evil or that none of them have empathy or they don't do human-centered design. But the large majority, frankly, don't really get it and they don't use it. It, it doesn't make them bad. But in, I think in our universe, we as the, uh, um, the core, the DVMs and the vet techs and the vet team as the core of all care, boy, there's a, there's a hidden gem there just waiting to bust out to tell people, here's how you can design in a way that's really going to make us, you know, a, just a, a force to be reckoned with. I yeah. love that so much, Garth. Thank you so much for your time and all those insights and, and the work you're putting into Visionaries and so many other projects. Really appreciate you taking the time today. Oh, so fun. Thanks, Katie. 
And thanks so much for listening. We will have uh, some information in the uh, podcast description for this show so you can find out a little bit more about veterinary visionaries. And uh, don't forget, you can also just email Garth. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Thanks so much. Catch you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.